millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Be Careful Out There. I'm Chris. And I'm Kelsey. And today I have a story for you that is like none other that we have covered thus far. None other. That's fascinating. Yes. So the title I have for this one is Teresa and it's either beer or beer kidnapped by Bigfoot question mark. <laughs> now we're going there. Yeah. We're, we're going into Bigfoot territory. Oh, that's yeah. so funny because I literally saw a video today on like Facebook or Twitter or something of somebody recording from a bus what they thought was Bigfoot that looked like Bigfoot. By the way, I don't believe in Bigfoot. I think it was probably fake, but it was so funny. I just love any and all Bigfoot content. I I love Bigfoot content too. It's It's my favorite. Very enjoyable. Um, There used to be a show called like Hunting for Bigfoot. It was kind of like Ghost Adventures, but for Bigfoot. And I loved watching that show. I would love to watch that one night. That would be nice. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, every episode's about the same. It's like, oh, we picked up (laughs) this possible noise that could be Bigfoot. Who knows? Next episode. (laughs) Same thing. We picked up this noise. Maybe Bigfoot. Who knows? Next episode. (laughs) Same thing. You get the point. (laughs) But yeah, it's funny that you came across some Bigfoot content on the same day that we're doing this episode. Also, I love those YouTube videos that we used to watch that were like Bigfoot sighting. And it was ridiculous. My favorite was the dog man one. But it was clearly someone in a costume. And they would be. It was really funny because I think if I remember correctly with the dog man one, there's the person in the costume and then a truck drives by. (laughs) I love this. There's like a camera (laughs) off in the woods pointing at this, which is really funny. A truck drives by and just sprays dog man with water. (laughs) And he just turns around and looks at the truck and then flips them off. That's so funny. I want to watch that video right now, actually. I know, me too. Didn't we look for them like a couple years later and we couldn't find them? Yeah, I think we did look for them a year or two ago and couldn't find them. That's so sad. I hope we can find them again someday. We will if we're determined enough. Okay, but before we get to Bigfoot, let's get into some backstory. So Teresa Ann Beer did not have the best home life. Teresa was born on April 16, 1971, to parents Shirley and David Beer. Shirley was not the best mom to her children. In fact, when Teresa was about three years old, Shirley wrapped Teresa's leg around the crib slates and continued to twist her leg until it broke, and Teresa was hospitalized due to her injuries. A vast majority of people should not be allowed to have kids. But I don't know how to figure that out and enforce it. The problem is it seems like the dumbest people or the worst people are honestly the ones that have the least kids. Because there's data that shows that the more you educate women, the less children they have. But it's really sad to think about the flip side of that. It's so sad. Also, I will just say, 
since I did make that statement about the more you educate women, the less children they have. Just because somebody's educated does not mean they're a good parent. I will throw that out there right now. Oh, yeah, for sure. (laughs) And some people who have a lot of kids obviously can handle them and are great parents. So props to them. And like you don't have to be a rocket scientist to be a good parent. No. You could be a single mom making you know, 50K a year working two different jobs and provide a nice life for your kids and be a good parent. Like that is a possible thing to do. It's just not always the case. Yeah. And it just, it pisses me off. Like when kids get abused because like there are other people who wanted those kids, but didn't get any. Well, that wasn't the only time that she was abused. It's also said that at one point, Shirley beat Teresa so severely that she broke multiple ribs. So yeah, very horrific. Teresa and her sister Vicky were eventually placed into foster care, and they were taken in by Sylvia Pierce, a friend from church. A few years later, David divorced Shirley and got remarried to Margie Richmond, who actually had previously been married to Shirley's half-brother, John Richmond, with whom she had two kids. They just all run at the same social circle. I'm just telling you, this is some backwoods, hillbilly, cousin fucking Arkansas bullshit. And I'm here I'm for it. You. And I'm here for it. Keep going. Okay. So at this point, David was able to regain custody of his daughter. I don't know if he got custody of both of them. The article I was reading really only mentioned Teresa. And when I tried to search about Vicky, I couldn't really find much information at all. So at this point, I don't know if he got custody of both of his daughters or just Teresa. So Margie had two daughters. David had two daughters. And then they all moved to Southern California. Again, like I said, it's unclear if Vicky moved with them or if it was just Teresa. So there's three or four kids and two adults. So Five or six people moving to California. And it said so that way they could take jobs as janitors. I did read multiple articles, but they all kind of had the same info and one was just condensed a little bit better. So I pulled mostly from it. But you could tell that English wasn't that person's first language. There were some very simple grammatical errors. So I don't know if David specifically was a janitor or if both David and Margie were janitors. But Mm hmm. I don't know. There just wasn't enough information on that. Like I said, actually, I haven't said the year that this case takes place in. This case actually takes place in 1987. So it's still before the Internet was around. Okay, yeah. You told me that this morning. Yeah, I told you that, but I hadn't I I hadn't told the listeners yet. (laughs) Yeah. So this was before the Internet. So not all of the details are super clear. So finally, Teresa has a chance to have a normal life with a big, happy family. Well, not really. It turns out that Margie was also abusive to her daughters and Teresa. Allegedly, she put a lock on her fridge and would make herself lunch and not feed her kids anything. For how many days straight? I don't know. That was unclear, but that's some shit that my dad used to do. So my dad would like play video games. He had... I'm talking, I was really young at this point. I had probably just moved in with him and I moved in with my dad when I was in second grade and we were still in BB at this point. So we moved to BB when I was in fourth grade. So I was in like second, third grade. And I remember my dad had this car steering wheel and like gas pedal, brake pedal thing for 
I can't remember if it was a computer or a PlayStation. I actually think it was for his PlayStation 2, maybe. And he would play that thing for hours and hours and hours. And when we would get hungry and he would finally get get tired of us complaining that we were hungry, he would take us into the kitchen, get out three plates, open a package of raw hot dogs, and put one raw hot dog on each plate for me and my two siblings. And that's all we got for dinner. One raw hot dog, not boiled, not even microwaved. One raw cold hot dog. That's what we got for dinner. That was a regular dinner at that house. I'm just going to say, like, I don't have any respect for your dad, but every time you tell me anything about him, it goes down even further. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Eventually, Teresa returned to Fresno, California to stay at her great-grandmother's house. However, she was soon put into the custody of Blind Johnny. Blind Johnny was 42 years old and was said to have lost his eyesight playing a game of Russian roulette. This man lost his eyesight playing Russian roulette. And you let him have custody of a child? Why? Well, does that show good judgment? It seems like the adults in her life never really cared about her to begin with. So Um, some people did speculate that Johnny could see just a little bit. So who is blind Johnny that suddenly became Teresa's new guardian? Was there at least a background check? Well, blind Johnny was actually John Richmond. Yes, the same John Richmond that is her uncle because it's her mom's half brother. And also her stepmother's ex-husband. Now we're really getting into the redneck territory. (laughs) I'm telling you, this is insane. So John had two daughters that lived with Margie and David, but he also had two sons with a prostitute that lived with him. Oh yeah, and his 17-year-old girlfriend also lived with him. How many bedrooms was this house? Probably one, honestly, probably. with this hillbilly shit going it was a one on. Bedroom they apartment. were probably all just sleeping on the floor. It was a studio. So sadly, Teresa's home life was an ever-changing shit show with the worst kinds of people. And it continues to get worse because it's also said that John would regularly have Teresa stay home to babysit his sons. And it's also said that John and his friends would often sexually abuse Teresa. Well, yeah, I mean, he has he was the one with the 17-year-old girlfriend, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, who lost his eyesight playing Russian roulette and was somehow given custody of a child. Given Teresa's home life and her being forced to miss school often, it is not surprising to hear that when she was 16, it was said that she was a slow learner and immature. Poor kid. Those were things far beyond her control. From the perspective of Teresa's story, it's really interesting to think back to kids in school that were considered troublemakers or extremely quiet 
And you just realize you have no idea what a person was going through at that time. Just like right now when you go to work, like you really don't know what people are going through. No, I think we should all be way more compassionate than we are. So I'm going to take a break from the story here to tell you a little bit of something that happened at work today. So I was talking with the girl at work and it started out when I was leaving on a delivery and she asked me, I heard her talking to one of the other insiders at the store about making jokes about her dead dad. And she said, well, I didn't make jokes about my dad right away. Like it took me about a year to become comfortable with it. And I just realized to myself that, you know, I don't want to be sad every time that I think about him. And like this dark humor is kind of a way for me to cope with that. And so she asked me, she said, Chris, do you think, you know, humor or dark humor is a good way to, you know, deal with things? And I was like, you know, to each their own. I can't say that's necessarily what I do, but I've never really lost someone close to me that was like super close to me. But I I don't think there's anything wrong with it. It's a good coping mechanism. It's helpful to a lot of people. Like, I don't I don't see it as a bad thing. And that was kind of the end of the conversation at that point. And then later on, I was doing dishes and she came to the back and she was kind of sitting back there talking to me. And so we chatted for a little bit. And after we had been chatting for 10 or 15 minutes, it kind of, it kind of came to a natural like breaking point in the conversation. Like we had kind of just finished up what we were talking about. So I decided to start a new topic of conversation and just ask her, um, how long ago did you lose your dad? Because I know you were talking about him earlier. And so she said Father's Day was four years. Um, she said she doesn't know the exact day that her dad died. But she was notified on Father's Day, so she remembers it as Father's Day is when he passed away, which is a really hard thing to learn. That's brutal. Yeah. And basically, she told me the story of the fact that her father was murdered in what they believe was likely a meth deal gone wrong because apparently he was extremely addicted to meth and... um his body was in a lake or something and it took them several days to find it and it was all bloated. So they couldn't really do a proper autopsy and he was a druggie. So the cops didn't really put that much like resources into it and things like that. Um, she said it got not surprised, but wow. She said it got like no media coverage or anything like that. And I, I don't think she said they ever really figured out who did it. I would be pissed. I mean, That's just an example right there of like, you never know what people are going through. And that was a conversation that literally happened today. I started researching this topic yesterday and then that conversation happened today. Um, And the part where I wrote, where I literally wrote, you never know what's going on in people's lives. Like you didn't when you're back in high school, like when you look back on how you treated people in high school, you don't know what those people are going through. Mm -hmm. And then like now when you go to work or you deal with the customer, like you have no idea what they're going through. And that conversation is just a prime example of that. Yeah. So I feel like I, I pay a lot more attention now and to like, I don't necessarily have to know what people are going through, but I feel like I'm, I'm sifting through the possibilities now of like what they could be going through. And I try to take that into account with all of my interactions nowadays, but I was not that advanced thinking in high school. (laughs) Yeah. And another thing 
is all of us have busy lives. Our lives are so yeah. busy and we get caught up in us and ourselves and it's harder and harder to think about other people unless you take that break or you get that reminder to be kind to other people and consider what they may be going through. Mm -hmm. um, and so I think that's a good reason to bring it up in this conversation is just to give this as a reminder to people, take a deep breath, be kind to people. You don't know what they're going through. They don't know what you're going through. Nothing they're doing is an attack against you personally, or at least 99% of the time it's not, even though we often perceive it to be. But Right, because that's our natural way of thinking because of our ego. Yeah, that person that cut you off, they're just trying to get to where they're going. Like, they didn't do it just to piss you off, you know? Like, just take a deep breath, you know, and either treat people with kindness or just move on and don't interact with them, but... There's no need to be outrageously mean or aggressive or anything like that because you can that's not going to get you ruin not, somebody's day for yeah. no reason. Well, it's also not going to get you anyway. No, it it doesn't. Do you know what happens when someone comes into a pizza restaurant? We now work at Papa John's, but we used to work at Domino's. When I worked at Domino's and somebody just came in yelling at me, you know what I would do? You can stop yelling at me and we can have a conversation or you can leave. Well, I'm not leaving until you fix this, this, and this. You can stop yelling at me and we can have a conversation or you can leave. And if you don't leave, I will call the police. <laughs> and I have called the police and have people removed. Did we fuck up their pizza? Maybe. Did they give me an opportunity to fix it? Nope. They came in hostile and aggressive. They're out of the store. They're not getting a refund. They're not getting their money back. They're not getting their pizza remade. Nothing. Now, if you come in and you say, hey, I ordered this pizza. It's supposed to be pepperoni mushroom. Only got pepperoni. Is there any way you can remake it for me? No problem. 10 minutes later, they got the right pizza and they're walking yep. out the door. Mm -hmm. Mistakes happen. But you know what? If you come in being an asshole, you're not going to get what you want. Nope. Fair enough. Okay. Well, I think that was a fun and meaningful tangent. And now let's get back to the story. It was beautiful. Thank you for that. So... In 1987, Teresa was 16 years old and told a couple of her friends that she would be going on a trip to the Sierra Nevada mountains to supposedly look for Bigfoot. Oh, no. You know how many people die in like national parks every year? Several. I don't, I'm not going to look it up. I don't know exactly how many and I don't want to know because then I'd probably never go to a national park. That's why park. I'm not going to look it up. Taking her on this trip was Russell Shelton Welch a.k.a. Skip. Skip was Teresa's neighbor and a painter who mostly lived off of disability checks. Skip was a self-described Bigfoot expert. I don't think there's any Bigfoot expert that's not self-described, if I'm being <laughs> honest. Well, you can't necessarily get a college degree in Bigfoot studies. Or uh, can you? Uh-huh. Yeah, I mean, I doubt it. I don't think you can get one in <laughs> Bigfoot study. But what I'm saying is, like, who... Who would certify you? There's nobody out there to certify you for that. So every Bigfoot expert has to be self-described. Don't mind me, guys. I'm just a self-described lawyer. I'll take the case. $200,000 an hour, please. Yeah. If you just, you can describe yourself as an expert in anything and then just do anything. He also claimed to have seen Bigfoot multiple times in the Sierra Nevada mountains. Skip claimed the Bigfoots lived underground. However, if Skip describing himself as a Bigfoot expert wasn't enough to make you question his judgment already, 
He was also a meth addict, and his wife Sharon had already died of an overdose. On the morning of June 1st, 1986, Skip went over to John's house, as they did know each other, and while there, Skip noticed Teresa getting ready for school, so he offered to give her a ride. This was all a ploy, because they had already planned this to be the day that they were going to the mountains to look for Bigfoot, but they weren't going to tell John that. Later that day, John got a call from Central High School asking why Teresa hadn't showed up for school. Even though John had no idea where Teresa was, he decided to tell the school that she was homesick for the day and decided to go out looking for her himself. Did he at least report her missing? We're getting there. After speaking with various people, nobody knew where she was, but many people warned John that Skip was not a trustworthy man. Oh, no. Finally, at 9.30 p.m., John reported Teresa missing to the Fresno police. This means Skip and Teresa likely had about a 14-hour head start, assuming that they left at like 7.30 a.m. to go to school. A 14-hour head start on their trip before the police were even notified. Great guardian. (laughs) Great guardian, yeah. But he was too busy playing Russian roulette to notice. Before leaving, Skip and Teresa stopped at his daughter Chandra Welch's house as Skip was having problems with his 1976 Chevrolet Monte Carlo. However, they did eventually make it to the Sierra Nevada mountain range near Shut Eye Peak. As the Fresno police searched for Teresa, they spoke with family and friends of Skip, including a 17-year-old girl named Michelle Ryan. The previous summer, Michelle was lured into a trip to the mountains with Skip. Michelle was warned by Chandra not to go because she knew that her father would take girls out to the mountain and then use drugs to lure them into sex. Michelle still went on the trip and made it back safely because luckily she went with two male friends. So let me be clear. Hold on. I'll I'll take a step back because I I could tell you're confused there. Um, I don't think she... It was uh, th- okay. This was very unclear, but how it was worded, I don't think she told Michelle that's why she couldn't go or why she shouldn't go. I think she just told Michelle she shouldn't go, and mm-hmm. in her head, that was the reasoning. But it was unclear. Okay. I don't think she told Michelle he's only taking you out there to give you drugs to try and get you to have sex with him. I don't think she necessarily said that. Yeah, probably not. If she went ahead and went, went. I mean. Why would you go if you knew that that was the reason you were being taken out there? Right. I mean, you could choose not to believe it. That's true. So Michelle still went on the trip and made it back safely because luckily she did take two male friends with her. So maybe she was warned. I don't know. But it was still a traumatic experience and she was pretty confident that she did get drugged. Police spoke with Skip's son and daughter and both were visited by Skip and Teresa on the day she went missing but the police were still unable to locate the two. On June 5th, Skip's car was spotted by a trailer park near North Fork, which is a town in the foothills of the mountains. Skip came down the mountain to visit Dorothy Davis. He was high and extremely upset, saying that a girl was taken by a satanic group and was being held in the mountains. Davis thought Skip was just delusional from the drugs. Wait, so you can be in a satanic group and just get to live in the mountains? I guess so. Sign me up. 
do you really think you're meant to live in the mountains? Your version of living in the mountains would be living in a lodge. My version of living in the mountains is living in a log cabin mansion and then venturing into the woods every day. Yeah, you would want the luxury resort, but with just me and you in it. That's what you and our dogs. Exactly. That's what you would want. <laughs> You'd want like a whole resort for just the two of us. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. That's all I want. That's, That's all, all I want, want in life. That's all I want is a multi-billion dollar resort for just me and my husband to live in. That's it. That's all I want. In the mountains. In the mount. In the mountains, yeah. Prime <laughs> real estate. So this is really weird. A few days after Teresa had been reported missing, Blind Johnny received a threatening call from a young girl that told him Skip had a pistol, and if you continue to make trouble for him... You will have more trouble from him. <laughs> oh. Even your kids can get hurt. Tell the police that Skip dropped Teresa off at school and some unknown blonde girl picked her up. That whole call is just very weird. Yeah. Some blonde girl. Five days later, Skip was arrested at his mother's house back in Fresno. He was arrested for a previous drunk driving violation. This was likely to make sure that they could hold them as long as they needed until they figured out what was going on. Because, like I've mentioned previously, there's only a certain number of hours, not previously in this episode, but I think I mentioned it in our last episode or one of the previous ones. But police can only hold you for a certain amount of time unless they, A, either have evidence that you committed a crime or, B, get you to confess to the crime. Yeah. Um, so I think they arrested him on this previous charge just to guarantee that they could hold him as long as they needed to. When being questioned, Skip talked a lot about Bigfoot. Go figure. I'm, I'm just picturing him as a guy who doesn't really have any personality outside of Bigfoot. That's kind of what he looks like, honestly, if you look at a picture of him. He just looks like he's the child of a human and Bigfoot. I mean, he's an expert, so... He dedicates a lot of his life and a lot of his time to Bigfoot. Yeah. Yeah. An expert. <laughs> he claimed that there were large numbers of Bigfoot living in underground caves in the mountains. He also claimed to have communicated with them many times. I wonder if he's a hollow earther. He just gives off that vibe. Yeah. And a flat earther. If you don't know what hollow earthers are, look it up. I don't know if we could find a crime that related to the hollow earth, but if we should, we we should cover a case like that. Absolutely. Just so we can cover what the hollow earth theory is in the case. That would just be a fun one to cover. Okay, so when questioned about Teresa, he changed his story multiple times, and he weirdly insisted on calling her by a nickname he gave her, and the nickname was Sam. This stuck out as really odd to me, because it's almost as if he's separating himself from Teresa or what may have happened to her or that he possibly just saw her as someone else. That either he was delusional enough to see her as this person, Sam, that he had built up in his mind or he did something really bad to Teresa and kind of struggles with the guilt. And so he refers to speak about Teresa when she was living by calling her Sam as if it was a different person, like dissociating from it. That is a pretty interesting thing to think about. 
that that's something that I've thought about. I, I'm really into shows like, or I used to be into shows like Criminal Minds, where they would analyze the psychological yeah. behavior of somebody. I wouldn't have gone there, but it, it definitely seems like he's somehow trying to distance himself from Teresa, even if just by calling her Sam instead of Teresa, just makes him seem less guilty to the police. It seems like somehow. Whether it was conscious or subconscious, it seems like he was trying to separate himself from Teresa by insisting on calling her Sam, which nobody else seemed to have called her. Yeah. that. Yeah, I mean, that is one of the things that would make sense. Some of his stories include Teresa running off with a woman in the woods, running off with some random campers. After having seen a Bigfoot, getting excited and running off to find more, and then he was unable to find her. And lastly, he said that she had just been flat out abducted by Bigfoot. I mean, of course you have to throw that one in there. Especially when you're the Bigfoot expert. (laughs) If you're the Bigfoot expert and you know where they live and you can communicate with them, how could you not get her back from the abducted Bigfoot people? Wow, some expert he was. Yeah, for real. He should lose that title. (laughs) We're stripping no, it. I don't, We're nobody stripping can, your title, Skip. Nobody gave it to him. You may have been self-described. But we can take it away. But we're taking it away. Yeah. You're, you're a non-expert you have of Bigfoot. negative certification now. Skip said Teresa would not be returning home because she would be happier with the Bigfoot community in the mountains rather what? than her own home. Which, given what we know about her home okay, life. Okay, he's a dude is a lot weirder than I even thought. Well, given what we know about her home life, that would probably be a true statement. Like, she would probably rather live with Bigfoot than be at home if Bigfoot was real. So fucking sad. I know. This just is all so Her home life was just so horrible. At one point, Skip suddenly, without prompt, without the police asking any questions, said, if you find Teresa, there will be no signs of sexual assault. He just offered that information uh, without being prompted. He claimed that Teresa did want to have sex with him, but he would never do that because it's not in his nature. In his nature as a Bigfoot expert? Sorry, I just cannot let that go. Yeah. I love that that's the thing that you're latching on to. Not that he's a meth addict that lures you know, teenage girls into the mountains to have sex with them. But like, all, you just can't get past the fact that he's a Bigfoot expert. But the first unforgivable thing that you said, <laughs> so the foremost on my mind is that he is a self-described Bigfoot expert. Okay, we need a list of unforgivable laws for the Be Careful Out There universe. And the first unforgivable sin is describing oneself as a Bigfoot expert. That's a good number one. Yeah. 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 We need to come up with like 10 of them and then we can throw that on a shirt or something. I don't know. We have zero. We talk about merch all the time. We have zero merch. We have zero history with ever making. We have never made merch for anything ever and have no idea how to go about doing that. Also, I haven't written down any of the things that we've said that we're putting on merch. So. Yeah. The only thing I remember just because I listened to this episode earlier was we talked about dick bags. We talked about making that a merch thing. True. Yeah. I feel like there was one other thing. I don't know. Anyway, so Skip agreed to show authorities where their campsite was. When Skip took them to the supposed campsite, there were blankets hung up, a camera, a bra, a purse, and several photos of Skip 
and photos of Teresa. However, based on the photos, the police were able to determine that this had not been their actual campsite. The campsite had been staged by Skip. Based on the topography seen in the photos, police guessed that the actual campsite had been about 20 miles away, possibly near Ghost Canyon. To be safe, both the meadow where the stage campsite was and the canyon were searched. A search helicopter spotted something on a hillside above the Browns Creek camp near the meadow. It turned out to be a blue shirt that belonged to Skip and it had meth in the pocket. I love that. I love that detail. I know nothing about meth, but it's got to be expensive, right? People, I'm sure people, people kill each them, other over it. Yeah, people put themselves in danger for that shit all the time. And he just, oh yeah, left a little bit of it in his shirt pocket. Like, what the hell? Bloodhounds did search the area, and they did detect Teresa's scent, but no other clues were found. I wonder if maybe they got Teresa's scent off of his clothing because he was in the area. I, I don't know. I don't know that much about that kind of thing. It didn't mention that they were able to follow a trail of the scent or anything like that. It's just said that the dogs registered her scent. So I wonder if it could have just been on him. Yeah. So yeah, the bloodhounds did search the area, but no other clues ended up being found there. Skip was charged with child endangerment and child stealing. Child stealing and child abduction are kind of the same thing, or they are the same thing. But they are slightly different from kidnapping. So child stealing is when somebody takes a child that they are not the legal guardian of and hides them from the legal guardian. It's considered to be a crime against the guardian rather than the person taken or the child. Kidnapping would be a crime against the person who is unwillingly taken. But in this particular case, Teresa seems to have gone on her own free will. At least from what we know. Yeah. Initially, Skip was released, but two days later, his bail was raised to $30,000 after a view of the case, and he was rearrested. Skip was offered an extremely light sentence if he would confess and take them to Teresa's body, but he stuck wow. to his Bigfoot story. Authorities offered to suggest a one-year sentence for the charges that he would you know, that they were currently pressing, which were the child endangerment and child stealing. If he would sign a waiver that would allow them to retry him for murder, if Teresa's body was ever found, Skip refused to sign this waiver, which forced authorities to drop all charges because they didn't want to risk double jeopardy if they wanted to charge him for murder later on. Double jeopardy is basically a law that prevents somebody from being tried twice for the same crime. So if they had charged him for child endangerment for this crime, and then they found her body later on, they were worried that the case might get dismissed because of the double jeopardy laws. So to this day, Teresa's never been found. Skip died in 1998 at the age of 54, due to severe coronary artery disease. So what happened to Teresa? Did Skip kill her? Was she abducted by Bigfoot? Did she run away from Skip to try and get away from her awful home life? 
and get lost in the woods? We may never know, but if you find yourself going out looking for Bigfoot, be careful out there. Okay, I'm just going to say this. Okay, so I, I'm i going to say now I'm an expert on Bigfoot, even if that's unforgivable, just so I can say that Bigfoot did not take her. <laughs> so you came up with our first unforgivable sin, and then within 10 minutes committed the unforgivable sin by declaring yourself a Bigfoot expert. Well, yeah, just so I that's can say iconic. that Bigfoot- I love that was not involved in this. And I know that for a fact because I'm an expert. I love that. I need to, I need to take that first clip of you call like us determining that that is the unforgivable <laughs> sin and then just immediately splice it with you declaring yourself. A I did expert. what had I to be done. That. Yeah. So what were your, what were your thoughts? Um, I was kind of pissed off when they offered him a lesser sentence, if he would confess and show them to the body because, no, you need to be in jail forever. Yeah. But I'm really harsh when it comes to these sentences. Well, I think the police realized that there would be no case without a body. Yeah, I understand that. And, yeah, there have been other cases like that, like the Gabby Petito case. That was much more recent. It was about a year ago now. Mm-hmm. Until her body was found, there wasn't much they could do about Brian Laundry. I think that was his name, right? It doesn't matter. Uh, yeah, you're right. It doesn't really fucking matter. But this this case was actually very similar to that one because in that case, mm-hmm. two people went into the woods, one person came out. In yeah. this case, two people went into the mountains, one person came out. And like, it's so hard. If you haven't found someone after a certain point, especially out there in the mountains, it just becomes less and less possible. Mm-hmm. Like, All right. Well, I think this case was a lot of fun to cover. And if you all enjoyed this episode and you want to support the podcast, the best thing you can do is leave us a five-star review on whatever podcast platform you're listening on. And if you have your own stories or cases that you want to send in, you can send those in to becarefulouttherepodcast at gmail.com. And if you liked this episode and you want to give us a follow, we upload a new episode every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. And as always, be be careful careful out out there. there.